Please open your Bibles to the text that was read this morning. This is the Word of God. Please let us pray. We need your help, our Father, not only to preach your Word, but to listen to your Word. And not just to listen, but to respond. And may your Spirit in our midst move now to make the Word of God live and to make it, Lord, our one passion to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Today and next Sunday, just these two Sundays, I am taking time before we return to the book of Colossians to deal with two words that are necessary, more than two, but two words that are necessary for the, the Christian life, for the church. Especially, I, I was impressed that John used the word this morning that we are pilgrims and strangers, and pilgrims and strangers live by these two words, as the Bible will teach us. The word that I'm going to be dealing with this morning is the word faith. Faith. Next week, Lord's willing, I'll be dealing with the word grace. And these two words are like what I might call, you know, whenever I take my car in to get it serviced, they they will ask me certain questions. And they'll say, the car requires this at so many miles. And I have learned to say, not now. (laughs) Next time. And next time has not come too regularly. Because every time they say what is required, I can just hear the cash register going, ching, 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 you know. And, uh, and, And it's possible for us to hear God's word and, and to do the same thing. It is necessary. It says, the, 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 the book, I remember several years ago, Lois and I and Christopher was just at 10 or 11, and we were way up in the mountains of California, and in, in those days, all he ate was pizza. Nothing but pizza. So we had to look for a, a pizza place wherever we went. And uh, <clears throat> we got to this place, beautiful location, in fact, my wife even said, this is where we should retire. And uh, I didn't respond to her um, <laughs> because I'm not going to retire in a place where if a fire happens, I have to jump. <laughs> you know? um, but it was a beautiful location. And we, were, we, we had rented a car. We, drove to, we flew to um, Vancouver, British Columbia, and we took, we still live in Canada, of course, and we took, rented a car in Vancouver and drove down to see her folks in Medford. And, uh, and um, then we, we flew to San Francisco and then drove down uh, up to, to, to Medford and so on. So we were driving and we got to this place and Christopher was hungry. And he, we had to find a, a place that sold pizza. And we found this beautiful little restaurant there. And he didn't want to get out of the car. So I, I, I locked him inside the car. I think this is where the story goes. And um, 
something happened that the, the horn started to blow. And here we were in this high place, and this horn was just going, blowing. I had no idea what to do. I was in the place, and I ran outside to see what was happening. People were looking out to see what was happening, and this, here was this little boy sitting at the back there, and the horn was, now, this is what I found out. In my experience, when you rent a car, they don't give you the manual. <laughs> so I didn't know what to do. Not, not that I would have if I was in the manual, you know. I needed a manual. At least it can give me some idea to what to do with this horn. And some people came over, and what they did, they took the cables off the battery, and that took care of the situation for us. And when I got back to Portland, uh, to Portland, that's where we got the, the vehicle. No, no, I'm sorry. When I got back to British Columbia, the next time I was in Portland to rent a car, I gave them a piece of my mind. Why do you not put manuals in a car when you rent it? Something goes wrong, you need to know what to do. Now, when I say a piece of my mind, I don't mean I was ugly. I mean I just told them that that was needed. And as far as I know, they still don't do it. I don't know why. God has given us a manual. And this manual is what he says, if you want to know what to do in life, you better check the manual. And so... We need to know that today. Dr. Aaron Williams of the University of Wales said this of faith. He said, if faith is what it claims to be, it is more precious than gold. For it brings man what gold cannot buy. If faith is what it claims to be, it is more precious than gold because it brings man what gold cannot buy. The Devil's Dictionary, and there is such a publication, the Devil's Dictionary says this, faith is a belief without evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. Faith, says the Devil's Dictionary, is a belief in evidence in what is told by one who speaks without knowledge of things without parallel. My question is, what is faith? There are all kinds of views about faith, and I want to take a few minutes to talk about three substitutes for faith. Three substitutes for faith, and then talk about what faith really is. Verse 6 of our text says this, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So what is faith? First, the first substitute. Uh, by the way, may I suggest to you that almost anything you do today, you can find a substitute for it. 
no matter what it is. And I went back in my text to Genesis chapter 7, where Moses took his rod, Aaron took his rod, and threw it before Pharaoh, and it turned into snakes, and the magicians did the same thing. There were substitutes then, and there are substitutes now. There are substitutes in religion. There's substitute in what we say about things we believe, and we shall see how we have been affected by those substitutes. The first substitute that I bring to you this morning is what I call subjective faith. Subjective faith. What's the definition of a subjective faith? Subjective faith is a supposed belief, a belief that originates in one's inner self. It comes from me. It is what I think. It is how I view life. The most popular religion in Hollywood is the religion of Buddhism. Because in, in Buddhism, there is what makes Hollywood Hollywood. Now, I don't want to take a lot of time with this, but I want you to listen to what Buddhism believes and why Hollywood believes it. This is the founder of Buddhism speaking. Quote, in the present moment, when your mind remains in its own condition without constructing anything, awareness at that moment in itself is quite ordinary. And when you look into yourself in this way, nakedly, without any discursive thought, since there is only this pure observing, there will be found a lucid clarity without anyone being there who is the observer, only a naked manifest awareness is present. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> you know what it's saying? See, Buddhism does not believe in a personal God. Buddhism says all there is is you and your consciousness, and if you can get rid of all those negative feelings, you will get to your real self. And when you find your real self, you would have made it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what Oprah believes, and that's a lot of people who follows Oprah. You look into yourself. This is subjective. This has nothing to do with objective truth. There is no I are you, only a naked manifest awareness. That's called subjective faith. Of course you believe in you. But you, there is all, there is. Secondly, credulous faith. Credulous faith. What is credulous faith? It is to believe without evidence. Believe without evidence. Because some movie star or some politicians say it, we believe it. I think most of you in this congregation this morning can remember Jim Jones. Do you remember what he did with people? He had these people 
drink poison. Because he said it. They had, they had no grounds for it. Somebody is believable because of the way they say things. Please allow me to say this. Last week there was a man in front of Trump Towers in New York who set himself on fire. He believed something about Mr. Trump that was said and he wanted to show how much he believed what was said without any evidence. And so he burned himself. He's still alive. Even Jesus in John chapter 10 and verse 30 says, if you don't believe my words, believe for the very works. So Jesus is saying that faith is not credulous. It is not believing something even if he said it. It must be consistent <clears throat> with reality before we do it, we believe it. And, and I, thought, I thought, you know, even as Christians, even in this place this morning, it is possible for us to fall into this category. <laughs> Let me tell you what is a credulous faith. We three kings of Orient are. Who said there were only three magis? Because three gifts were given, we thought. In every Christmas story, <laughs> the wise men are always going to the manger. That's not true. That's a tradition. The wise men went to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. But we believe it. We have songs that, that are made up with that. And so we must be careful, even if, if the sentiments is, is really nice, that we explain it. It's a tradition. But it's not true. And so credulous faith is to believe something. If I say something from where I am, you must be like the Bereans. You must check the scriptures to see whether they're so or not. Because it is possible, like Jim Jones, to use scriptures to delude people, a la Richard Dawkins, and let people believe something that isn't true. Credulous faith. There are people who are like that today. Jehovah's Witness. They were told that Jesus is not the Son of God. The Bible teaches that he is. But that organization believes that and they, they have butchered the Greek word to try and prove it when it isn't true. Thirdly, optimistic faith. Optimistic faith. This is the power of positive thinking. This was, was born by Norman Vincent Peale with his church in New York. By the way, the church that Mr. Trump's parents attended. And, and what, is, what is the whole thing? And, and this power of positive thinking, of course, you know, who really brought that before people on television screen for years and years and years. It is, they use a verse of scripture like this. 
All things are possible to him who believes. So Mr. Peel, Vincent Peel, said this. I'm quoting here. Whenever you wake up in the morning, say three times, I believe. I believe. I believe. My question is who or what? <laughs> it reminds me of a series in Archer Bunker on his birthday when he was asked to make a wish. And when he was finished with the wish, Michael said, did your wish come through? He says, no, he's still standing here. <laughs> <laughs> I believe. See, simply because we believe does not mean that it is faith. It is only faith because we believe it. But not faith in the biblical sense by which the scripture says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because God is not going to ask us to believe something simply because. He's going to give us the evidence that we need in order to believe. So those are three ideas of what we call substitutes faith. Let me quickly get to what I call the scriptural faith. The word faith comes from a Greek word, pistis, which means not only what is said, but who is saying it. The word belief is related and is from the same root word. But here's the difference. Biblical faith is not blind trust. It is the response to objective reality. And I'll prove that in a few minutes. Biblical faith is the response to objective reality. It is not in itself. It is not blind faith. It is something that is done because of something else. The reality of Scripture is God as revealed in His Son. Biblical faith is not subjective, it is objective. God speaks, and we have faith in what God says. The trustworthiness of the person who said it. Let me give you an example. God appeared to Abraham and he said to Abraham, I want you to leave your country and your family and I want you to go to a place I will show you. God called. Now, Abraham is on his way and meet him about 10 miles from home and say to him, Abraham, where are you going? He said, I don't know. Why are you going? God has called me. See, faith is responding to the trustworthiness of God. It's not only what is said, but the content of faith is what God says. Not only can we trust God because of his integrity and his character, but we can trust what God says. And we will read that in a few minutes. Faith is not based on ignorance. It is not mindless. It is knowledgeable. 
It is a reasoning trust, says John Stott, a trust which reckons with confidence in what is said. One of the great fathers of theology, John Calvin, said it this way, true biblical faith has intellectual content. True biblical faith has intellectual content. We'll see this in a minute. He goes on to say, knowledge rather than pure ignorance that this is necessary knowledge comes from God's word. That faith involves certainty that the Bible in its shield and so in, in its, its declaration and so on, we shall possess a right definition of faith if we call it a firm and certain knowledge of God. So, so here, we, here we have then, biblical faith is objective expression of reality, a reality that can be trusted because it is true, it is real. And so what that reality says then becomes the content for what we do. So then, we come to my third point. The substance of biblical faith. From the text that was read by Morgan this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Hope you have your Bibles turned there. The content of biblical faith from Hebrews chapter 11 is this. Faith depends upon the existence of God. He is the objective reality. Listen at the text. Whoever comes to God must believe that he is. Now please let me clear up something right away. My faith doesn't make God real. It is God who makes my faith real. See, when we read the text, whoever comes to God must believe that he is. It is almost sounding like it says, I believe, I believe, I believe. No. God has given content to what we believe because he exists. I, I want to take time, instead of talk, talking about the universe and all that we can go on and boggles our minds with universe seen and not seen, I want to talk about three things that are impossible without the existence of God. If God did not exist, these three things would not be possible. First, without God, without the existence of God, we have no existence. Without the existence of God, we have no existence. Listen to Psalm 100 verse 3. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We cannot give explanation for our being. If God did not give significance to you and to me, we would have none. That is why people who do not believe in God can say, my dog is more important to me than you. God did not make a, go a, a dog in his image. He made man in his image. 
And my significance and your significance comes because God gave that to us. Listen, listen to these words from Psalm 104, 20, 24 to 30. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, the great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There is the big ship, the Leverthian. Some think that it is talking about a whale, which you form to play in the sea. They all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hands, they are filled with good things. Now listen, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. You know, it's interesting. Several years ago when there's a big tsunami in um, one of the Asian countries, I'm not remembering which one it is now, it, it is said that the day before the tsunami, if they had looked at the animals in that land, they would have known something was up. See, see what it's saying. You, 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 you hide your face and all creation is disturbed. He goes on to say, when you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. My significance, my friends, depends upon the existence of God. I could not be if God did not give me life. When the atheist says he doesn't believe in God, and you ask him, where did you come from? And he or she tries to find some answer, like I evolved. And you say, what did you evolve from? And then they try to give you some answers. And then you should ask, what did evolution evolve from? There had to be some first cause. And if they go back and back and back, they will end up at a person. At a person. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed mankind of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Without God... There would be no existence. Secondly, without God, there would be no love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Love is of God. Love is not God, but love is of God. I'm talking now, my friends, not of human affection, which can easily come or go. I, I, I think of that mother in Kaiser this morning that killed her 13-year-old son last week. See, even human love has its deficits. 
I am talking about a love that is self-giving, sacrificial, a love that puts the other first instead of itself. And I was trying to think of what is the best illustration of this. And last night, now I, I, studies on, I, studies, I study on Thursdays. So Thursday all day. In fact, I just got a call from the superintendent. He wants to make a phone call, which is what he does on, on uh, a Thursday from this week. And I, I'm going to tell him, no, sir, I'm sorry. Uh, Thursday is my study day. I, I, when Lois leaves for school, I go in, up in my office and I'm there. And when I am there, I want to hear what God has to say to me that I can say to you, God said. So from Thursday up until last night, about 11 or 12 o'clock, I'm trying to find some illustration to talk about this kind of love I'm talking about. I've read some, but they just did not satisfy. And all of a sudden, about last night, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, it came to mind, and I was in front of my computer, and I thought of the life of Dr. Helen Rosebeer. I don't know if you know who she is. She was a missionary to the Congo in the 1960s. A very lovely British woman who was not born in a Christian home, who went to study medicine and while in university, came ac across two young Christian ladies who shared the gospel with her. And in her own words, she said, the moment I believed in Jesus, I knew that my whole life was changed and that he wanted me to go to the Congo. I won't give you the whole story. But while she was in the Congo in 1964, Congo is one of the worst places on earth to be in. She helped build a hospital. She worked with her hands and used her mind. mind. And when the eruption came, the soldiers came. And I went back. In fact, I, I found her interview on the TV again, and I listened until after midnight last night. She was raped two times. She was there to help the people. She was raped two times. She was beaten with a, the, 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 a, a gun, hit in the face, her glasses smashed, and so on, to the people she went to help. And the interviewer asked Dr. Rosevere, Dr. Rosevere, did you ever ask the question, why me? And she said, you know, I, I never did. She said, one time I can remember asking myself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And Dr. Rosevear said, that moment, that moment that question came, it is as, as my wonderful Lord, as she said, came to me and said, Helen, I want you to ask another question. I want you to answer another question. Not is it worth it, but 
Am I worthy to trust you with it? Am I worthy to trust you with it? Can I love a God who causes me to go through? And listen to what she says. When they raped me, they did not rape my mind or my spirit. They only raped my body. Wow. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. The love that is focused upon its origin, focused upon its purpose, that whatever comes into life, that affection for the one who has given life to you is maintained. My friends, without the love of God, because we see that at Calvary, that's precisely what Jesus did. He went to the cross for sins he did not commit. He went to the cross to please his Father in heaven on the behalf of sinners. So John says this, the one who says, I love God and hate my brother is lying because the love of God in us is sacrificial. It serves, it is willing to do whatever is needed for the other. That's what Dr. Helen Rosevear did. The apex of this is, is Luke 15, where when the prodigal son came home, the brother who was at home said, what's all the noise about? And when he was told, he said, I will never celebrate anything that celebrates a brother who had been what this brother was like. See, one believed in the love of a father and the other did not. Without the love of God, you look at your brother and you despise him. You look at your sister and you despise her. But with the love of God, you look for a way to serve them. That's the kind of love. So without the existence of God, we have no existence. Without the existence of God, we have no love. A.W. Tozer says, God is love means that love is an essential attribute of God. Love is something that is true of God, but it is not God. It expresses the way God in his unitary being, as do words, holiness, justice, faithfulness, and truth. Because God is immutable. He always acts like himself, and because he is unity, he never suspends one of his attributes in order to exercise the other. God is love, and because of the love of God, Jesus came into our world to share that with us, and we then show by our love that God exists. Thirdly, Without the existence of God, there is no morality. Without the, love of, without the existence of God, we have no one to set the rules by which we live. When, when, when the young man came to Jesus in Luke 18 and says, Good master, what shall I do? Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is only one that is good. There is no, no human good. And, and we, we tend to think there has to be human good. God says there isn't. The best of men are men at best. 
the description of morality in, in the character of Jesus caused this young man to call him good because he saw an uprightness as he had never seen before. Therefore, when we have the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandment comes out of God's character. I always remember that because that's one of the few times I got 100% in, in, in college <laughs> when I had to do a paper on the, on the Ten Commandments. I got 100%. I should have saved it. Uh, uh, remember the young man who got a report card and looked at it and says, how am I going to show this to my dad? So before he got home, he searched for one of his dad's report card and said, dad, here's my report card and here's one of yours. <laughs> it is from the character of God that he speaks to us. So when he says, I am the Lord your God, you shall, it is because what you shall do is true of him. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And so God shows us how to live spiritual in the first five commandments, and he shows us how to relate to one another in the next five. It's not based upon opinions. God did not get with the angels and ask for their input. Objective moral values exist only if God exists. Objective moral exists, therefore God exists. In college, I had to study something called syllogism. You know, if one thing is this, another thing is this, then we come to conclusion. Objective moral laws exist only if God exists. God exists. <laughs> Objective moral laws exist. My friends, who is going to tell those 100,000 people that march across this country and in other countries of the world, who is going to define truth to them? If there were 100,000 people marching, you know how many concepts of truth there were? You have it. We need someone who transcends who we are to be able to say what we should do. The art O-U-G-H-T comes from an absolute authority that is real, that exists, that can speak to us. So, listen, please listen. When God expressed himself about the universe, he says, by faith we understand. The word understand means to reason, to exercise the mind. By faith we understand that the world came into being by the word of God. And I don't have time to do all the exposition that's needed there because my time is already gone. But divine revelation is the content of biblical faith. We don't believe without evidence. We don't believe something simply because it's in the Bible. We believe what the Bible says because it gives the evidence for what we're supposed to believe. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't credulous faith. Biblical faith always rests in a trustworthy person who speaks words that we can obey. 
Anthony Flew was one of Britain's most notorious atheists. <clears throat> and Dr. Flew, before his death, came to the conclusion, if you follow the reasoning about creation, you cannot but come to a conclusion that a super intelligent mind must be responsible for what we see and what we can know. He was an atheist. By the way, I don't know that he came to believe, but he came to believe the evidence. Evidence. I don't know what else he did. So what I'm trying to say, see, the difference between the connection, not the difference, the connection between faith and belief is this. Faith is responding to what is revealed. Believing is obeying what was revealed. See, it is possible to have, yeah, I believe that God, you know, some people say the good Lord. <laughs> Whenever I hear that, I am, I'm almost silent because I'm not too sure what they mean by that. The good Lord is what I put on him. But when I say the Lord God, I'm talking biblically. And so one can believe that there is a God somewhere, but not in the God of the Bible. One can have some morality, no doubt, but not the morality that pleases God. Because your morality is different from my morality, and we can do a whole lot of things. That's why we have a constitution in this country and try to get everyone to believe it. <laughs> That's another story. So faith then, without God, we have no existence. Without God, we have no existence of things as they are. And lastly, and very briefly, it is exacted by God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me close with an illustration. In Copenhagen, there's a, there's a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a cathedral there with a statue made in the image of Christ. And whenever you go into that museum, you're told that there's something you've got to do in order to see the beauty of that statue in the face of Christ. If you stand up, you will never see it. The way you're going to see the, the, the sculpture, the way in which he did it, he made it in such a way that the only way, the only way you can see the beauty of that statue is if you kneel down. Only if you kneel down. Richard Dawkins says, I will not kneel down to anybody. He will never see God. Bertrand Russell said, I'm not going to kneel down to anybody. He will never see God. God has set the standard by which he may be known, by which you can hear him, by which you can believe him. And if you fail to go to God, as Cain did, Cain said, I don't think I have to go to God by bringing a sacrifice. I'm going to bring what I want. God had said, if you're going to know me by faith, Abel offered a more approvable sacrifice to God because that's what God said. Abel did not say, I think I prefer this over. No, no. And my friends, if you're listening to my voice this morning in here and you think you can get to God without believing what God says, you're mistaken. I call upon you this morning that if you have been awakened this morning to believing in God, 
your mind is involved, your intellect is involved, God has given us evidences by which we're able to come to know him and to live a life of meaning and a life of love and a life of faith. If you have questions about this, I'd be very happy to talk with you. I believe this is essential because people who live by sight go crazy in a world like the one we're living in. People who live by faith believe that God is in control and that he can be trusted. Let us pray. Dr. Rosevere, in her testimony, said when she was struggling to come to faith, she said, God, if you are real, please reveal yourself to me. And she told how that happened. My friends, if you want to know if God is real, ask someone who has by faith received him, and they will tell you. For me, it was one good Friday morning, struggling, struggling, struggling. And then I accepted the revelation of Christ dying for us and then believing. And I have been believing ever since that time. It can happen to you. May the Holy Spirit give you understanding to the question, what is faith? Faith is the response to God and the believing what God has said. Take your word, Father, and apply it to our hearts. Open our understanding so that we might be a people that live with that which is more precious than gold, even faith in God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.